and welcome to the weekly summaries of the Good Shepherd Bible Study. I am your host, Miller Ansel, the church planning intern. We are a Bible study and longing to be a church plant of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Southwest Houston. So if you're in Southwest Houston, we meet in Stafford at 3211 South Main Street in a church building called Grace Center. We'd love to have you out. Also, please check out our website at gsbiblestudy.org, as well as like us on Facebook at Southwest Houston Reformed. Welcome to week 12 in our Sermon on the Mount podcast here as we finish up the last chapter in this sermon. And you recall that one thing we have emphasized about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's about Christian counterculturalism. We might also say this is about kingdom living. We have been saved by the work of Christ, now live like this, in the kingdom of God, or in the Christian counterculture. And we know that within a culture, within a kingdom, there's a lot of people. That means there's a lot of relationships. We have relationships within the kingdom. We have relationships to the king. We have relationships to those outside of the kingdom. And so Matthew 7, 1 through 12, is dealing with uh, relationships. In fact, the entirety of the chapter is, but today we're covering 1 through 12. So the first relationship we find is that with our brothers in verses 1 through 5. Very popular verses. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You ever heard somebody talk about that before? Do not judge. A lot of misunderstandings about this verse. One misunderstanding. Uh, This does not mean that all moral judgments are withheld. In fact, the very next verse, verse 6, Jesus is calling gospel rejectors dogs and pigs and says that we need to identify those dogs and pigs. We are making moral judgments on people. Uh, So it can't be that. It can't be all judgments in general. 1 Corinthians 6 is dealing with judging one another uh, and judging angels and judging the world in the end, in the end times. So just what is this judgment? Jesus is speaking of a hypocritical judgment. You see it from the illustration that follows. The hypocrite sees a little sin in somebody's life and they go to tell them all about it while they have a big log or a big plank in their own eye of sin. So this isn't simply um, a person going to another saying, I struggle with the same sin and you shouldn't do that. This is in fact somebody who is a great sinner. Somebody, uh, you know, an extreme example might be this is the, the serial killer or a mass murderer going to somebody who simply hates their brother in their heart telling them to stop it. How hypocritical. That's the type of judgment that Jesus is getting at. It's when a 
person A goes around cheating on their spouse, constantly committing adultery, and then tells uh, their brother to stop um, lusting in their heart. Uh, the greater sinner is hypocritical to judge the lesser sinner. So we are, are to avoid that type of judgment. In fact, they are our brothers. So we should go to them. Uh, pointing out your brother's faults is not necessarily a bad thing, but we do it as a loving person with medicine. We don't come to them with a judge, with a gavel ready to condemn them to hell. Instead, we follow Matthew 18 and we lovingly seek uh, to corral them back into a right relationship with the Lord. And we do it without hypocrisy and we do it with love. So we should be reminded, one, to be as critical of ourselves or to be more critical of ourselves than others and to lovingly uh, judge our brother. Secondly, verse 6 deals with our relationship with the gospel rejectors, those that reject the gospel. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You see this in the life of the apostles. When they were rejected, they moved on. You see, we cannot continually and mindlessly offer Christ to those who see no value in the gospel and, in fact, might turn around and attack us. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 deals with this, that mockers will not humble themselves before the Lord. In fact, they might attack you. Now, we cannot use this as an excuse to be cowardly and to shy away from opportunities to talk about the gospel, but we do need to be aware and be wise when casting our pearls um, before particular people. The next relationship that Christ deals with is our relationship to God the Father in prayer. Verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So right away we're reminded that we are beggars before the Lord. Right? Martin Luther's famous last word, surely we are beggars. Uh, we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. We come to Him in prayer. Uh, we are to be persistent in that prayer. We are to ask and we are to seek and we are to knock. Matthew Henry says that's another way of saying Pray, pray, and pray again. All these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are in the imperative, reminding us that our Lord is enforcing our persistence in prayer as a necessity in our lives. Jesus uses an illustration here, that of common grace, that even the unbelieving father uh, doesn't give his child a stone and ask for bread, which would be unwholesome. And he certainly doesn't give him a, a serpent or a scorpion or a snake when he asks for something. That would even harm him. No, even the most evil fathers give their children good things. So how much more will God the Father give to his children who have received saving grace? So then can we ask God for anything? Are there any strings attached in this ask, seek, and knock? We must recall that God gives good things to those who ask him. Verse 11. He doesn't just give us anything 
that we want. We are sinful, we are finite, and we are not wise. Certainly not in comparison with our Lord. And so God the Father gives us good gifts. And we do not get everything that we possibly ask for. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything I might chance to ask him. I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked, and that he shut certain doors in my face. There is also the issue of James 4.3 when James says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so when we come to God in prayer, uh, he is not obligated to give us anything we might want. In fact, sometimes we don't receive things because we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. The last relationship that we'll look at today is that with our neighbors in verse 12. Another popular verse. I'm sure you've heard it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, in connection with the previous section, if we are beggars... We are humble and selfless, and we realize we have nothing to offer. Uh, we have no reason to stand before the Lord, and we have nothing to offer our neighbor. And so we are to treat them as we'd want to be treated. Now this verse gets misused very often. Uh, it's an idea that's been around for a while. Confucius to Kant uh, stated something similar, always in the negative, right? Do not do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Not a lot of obligation laid on somebody with that. But when it's stated in the positive, as Jesus states it, there's a lot of responsibility to his people. And this is not uh, the essence of religion. You hear people say, all religions are the same. They all teach that you should treat people the way you want to treat them. No, that's not the essence of Christianity. Christianity is Christ died for sinners. And because he did that, those sinners that have been regenerated are to love their neighbor. But according to what standard? This is the law and the prophets. Buddhism, Islam, Judaism does not have this as the basis for their understanding of the golden rule. Is it the law and the prophets? We can't forget that. That's often left out when people quote. So this is dealing with the second table of the law, the way we treat our neighbors and love them. So we have to treat them the way we'd want to be treated, the way that Jesus says uh, the law and the prophets tell us to treat them. Well, is that how we live? Why are our relationships so bad? And the answer is we don't live this way uh, because we're sinners and we need a Savior to help us to live and to keep these relationships in their proper perspective in order to judge rightly. Um, whether it's judging our brother or judging uh, the dogs and the pigs. Uh, we need uh, this Savior to teach us how to pray to God the Father. And we need this Savior to work salvation so that the Spirit might apply it to us so that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Well, join us again next week as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount, as well as look at our relationship to false teachers. <music>